The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you are new to TBC, we want to welcome you. We thank you for joining us as our guest today. And uh, when you exit, if you'll go out to the right, you'll find a conference room with some folks in there to give you information about distinctives and who we are. We'll have a new visitor center out in the foyer area whenever remodeling's done. Uh, just to update you, the building in the back should be prepared to move in within the next three weeks or so. And uh, so we'll move offices out there and we'll have a chapel and adult classrooms. And uh, then we'll remodel this area for children's ministries and uh, expand the foyer, et cetera, et cetera. And thanks for your uh, gifts to the work of the ministry over the years and God's provision for that. So we welcome you if you're new. Secondly, we're always looking for ways to help you get into the Word of God on your own. You'll find on the hallway tables three booklets, Closer Walk, Daily Walk, and Daily Bread. They're all helps to get you in the Scripture as you study God's Word together. Luke chapter 12 is where we are. We're going to start by looking at a video this morning. So Watch this one with me. Human beings are complex creatures. It's not enough for us to have food and shelter to live happily. Deep down, we are all searching for fulfillment. As Christians, we know that satisfaction and true fulfillment can only come from one place, a really full bank account with lots of zeros in it so you can buy all the material goods that can make you feel truly fulfilled. You see, man needs more than just the basics to survive. He needs a cappuccino machine, and a big TV for each room, and a pool. These are the things that bring fulfillment. Of course, once you have had them a while, the fulfillment wears off. So you just buy a whole bunch of new stuff, and your soul will be satisfied once again. There are some that say true fulfillment can only come from God, and they are right. Only God can give you the money to buy the stuff you need to feel fulfilled. So pray that God will give you fulfillment through the material goods you need to own. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. You know, I know that video is not true for any of us, amen? But for some of our friends caught up in the prosperity gospel, that's it. Uh, none of us get fulfillment from our stuff. None of us get security from our bank accounts. Right. Right. You know, three years ago when I was diagnosed with a really bad disease, for three months I was filled with anxiety and worry and fretting. Filled with it. It was like a tsunami hit me. I had to take medicine to sleep for the first time in my life. I had to take pills for anxiety for the first time in my life. I've never been anxious, never been not able to sleep. And I'm really embarrassed to tell you the reason that happened reason that happened and what kept me awake at night and my heart beating out of control in the daytime was not a fear of the disease and not a fear of death. I'm prepared for that. But when I would wake up in the night and couldn't go back to sleep or when I couldn't fall asleep or when I was thinking about things, that anxiety and embarrassed to say was about money. It was about money. You see, I was fearful of the cost of participating in a clinical trial, and if I participated in a clinical trial, it was $30,000 out of pocket to begin with, and then we found out my insurance would not cover us if I was hospitalized, and so in my mind, there was the potential for hundreds of thousands of dollars to be spent on something that may or may not help me, and I panicked. I panicked. I fretted. I struggled. 
I, I was fearful of the cost of that. I was fearful of debt. By God's grace, we as a family had been out of debt, 100% out of debt for the previous four to five years. Everything paid off, house paid off, cars paid off. And just uh, at the time I was diagnosed, we were getting ready to move in a beautiful new home that we were building. And uh, we built that. My folks were coming to live with us to accommodate them. We'd inherited some money from Bev's family. You have provided for our staff team for many years and not having had debt, but then having some debt. And I, I'm a frugal budgeter, so it was well within our means, but at the same time I'm thinking, what if I can't work anymore? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And I panicked. And what I realized, there was a chink in my spiritual armor. Somehow, somewhere along the way, I had found a whole lot of security in the numbers I talked about in that video. Now, I don't have seven or eight numbers in my retirement fund, but God has given us the ability to retire at the appropriate time when that comes up, and I hope that's another six, seven, eight years. But the realization was, during that time, I stand before you to confess that my worry was not about disease and my worry was not about death, but my worry was about money, and I struggled with it. Trust replaced turmoil, was replaced by turmoil in my life. Peace was replaced by panic. If you know me well and were around me at that time, man, we're still walking with God, pressing into God, but I was struggling. But my faith had become a fearful faith. Even though God had provided abundantly for us through you and through an inheritance, I, I still panicked. I resemble the warrior in Luke 12, those three months, four months, in a great way. And I, I stand before you to tell you I'm a work in progress. After 40 plus years of walking with Christ, 35 years is August 15th, we'll have the privilege to be pastoring here at TBC. In spite of all that, there was a chink in my armor. And when all those things were threatened, I struggled. Tony Evans, one of my profs at Dallas Seminary, great leader in the racial reconciliation movement right now, pastor Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, wrote, the pursuit of money is the strongest addiction of the 21st century. It's the strongest addiction. You see, there's, there's a persistent quirk within us. That makes us believe that somehow temporal things will bring permanent satisfaction. That somehow the temporary things of this life will bring satisfaction. If we have enough, then we're secure. If we have enough, then we can enjoy it. If we have enough, then things will be all right. And the reality of it is our pursuit of money and stuff it can buy has become an all-consuming chase for many of us within our culture. You see, we believe happiness is only a lottery ticket away. I mean, how many of you have at some point in time said, if only I win the lottery? Let me see your hands. If only I win the lottery. Let's be honest. If only I win the lottery, then you fill in the blank. Okay? I, I, our building would be paid for 20 times if some of you. I mean, I've had people come, Pastor Gary, if I win the lottery, where you do that? They said, well, will you take the money? And my philosophy is D.L. Moody's philosophy, great uh, evangelist last year. Yesterday, he said, I'll take the devil's uh, money for the Lord's work any day. So you win the lottery, we'll take your tithe. But, but here, here's the reality. Believing happiness is only a lottery ticket away. We covet, we connive, and we consume with little thought of what God's will is regarding money and wealth and generosity. And so in a consumer age, how and even why should we be generous? Why, why should we? I mean, the reality of it is if God's given you stuff, but he's given all of us stuff, you remember the definition of a rich man from the scriptures? If you go back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, if you have clothes for the day at the start of the day and a change of clothes, if you have food for the day at the start of the day and a change of clothes, you're a rich person. So I would say most of us had food for the day at the start of the day. If you didn't, all you have to do is wander the halls of TBC. There's food everywhere. If you can't find it, come to me. I can tell you where we hide all the snacks. 
food for the start of the day and a change of clothes. If I see most of you this afternoon, tonight, or tomorrow, you'll have a change of clothes. And so when we talk about a rich man, we're talking about us. We're talking about everybody in this room. If you've got food for the day, start of the day, and change of clothes, we're talking about us. And the reality, when we come to this passage, we're going to talk about a greedy man. And we're going to see the example of a greedy man, and we're going to contrast that to generous Jesus. Well, the whole passage, the whole scenario begins in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together, they were stepping on one another, he began saying to the disciples. And so you have the scenario, Jesus is speaking, there are thousands of people there. They are cupping their ears to hear his words. They are craning their necks to see him. They're kind of pushing people aside so they can get to the front and and be able to see and listen to, to the miracle worker do his thing. And so in the midst of that, there's a man who kind of nudges his way through the crowd. There's a man who pushes his way. There's a man who finds himself in the very front of the crowd, and he he moves past all norms of social etiquette. It would be like if one of you ran up right now, several hundred people in here, one of you ran up right now and said, Pastor Gary, I've got a question for you right now. I mean, if one of you ran up right now, first of all, you'd probably get shot because we've got security out there, but I wouldn't advise you to try that. But, but if you did that, you would break all social norms, all social etiquette if you began to do that. So the, the reality of it is this guy does that which is not normal. He doesn't care about the point that Jesus is making. He doesn't care about the people that are listening. All he cares is about himself. His face is flushed. His voice is anxious. And he is insistent. I find this in verse 13. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my family, my brother, to divide the family inheritance with me. And so this guy, thousands of people, that's what it says in 12.1, listening to Jesus, he makes his way to the front, pushes his way, he's red in the face, he can't wait to ask the question. He said, tell my brother to divide up the inheritance. Tell my brother to get with it. You see, he can't wait to get his snout into the family trough. And he wants it to happen right now in spite of thousands of people hearing Jesus teach. And so he pushes his way through the crowd, and there's a family squabble over money. Now, thank God that never happens in our day and age. Amen? I I mean, he's insistent. He breaks all the norms. He pushes his way to the front. All he cares about is himself. Reminds me of the story I've used a bunch of times here at TBC. <clears throat> there was a four-year-old boy who was in the, in the congregation one Sunday and, uh, of a church, not this church, and, and he kept acting up. And his dad said, if you do that one more time, then I'm going to take you out in the foyer and I'm going to spank you. And so he acted up one more time. The dad put him under his arm, began to walk out the door. When he pushed the back door open, the four-year-old turned around and screamed at the congregation, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> That's this guy, thousands of people, pushes his way to the front and says, teacher, tell my brother to take care of the problem. It's a problem about money. It's a family squabble is what the issue is. And so what we're finding, Jesus is talking about, a, talking to and about a rich poor man. And this guy walks up and there's this family squabble happening. And Jesus turns the intrusion into an instructive time. Jesus turns the intrusion into an instructive time. Jesus does what Jesus always does. He he looks at him and says, first of all, he pushes him aside and says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus leapfrogs right past the man's question. and, And then he issues an instruction. He issues a warning, if you will. Look at verse 15. And Jesus said to them, plural, he's not just talking to the man now, but he's talking to the whole crowd. And he says, beware, it's a warning. Jesus doesn't give a lot of warnings, but he gives a warning we should listen. And he says, beware, be on guard against every form of greed. 
Jesus says, I want you to beware. These are the railroad lights blinking. Beware, beware, beware. I mean, the crossing has gone off and he says, I want you to beware. I want you to listen because there's a problem here. And he says, the problem is greed. Be on your guard. It's the same word guard that's used in Philippians 4 where it says guard your hearts and minds. Same exact word. Guard your heart against every form of greed. The word greed is an interesting word. It's a compound Greek word. So there are two Greek words put together, linked together like we would in our language. And this compound word means to have more or to want more. Beware of the greed. Beware of wanting more. That's the caution from Jesus to us. That's the caution from Jesus to these folks. Beware of living your life never satisfied, never content, always in the pursuit of a little more. It reminds me of what I'm reading about Pokemon Go right now. I mean, the, the pursuit of a little more. How many of you folks are playing that right now? Let me see your hands. Be honest out there. Some of you are addicted to it. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You need to dig, take your head out of the proverbial sand. I, I mean, in Pokemon Go, now, I, I just read a thing yesterday where you can actually hire people to, to play Pokemon Go for you while you're working so you can advance to higher levels so that at the end of the day, you can impress your friends by showing them what level you're at. You can do that right now. I'm at level 25 on the yellow team right now. I mean, we've been doing this for a while. Some of you are impressed, aren't you? Actually, I don't know what that means. I read about it on the internet last night. So I don't know what a level, I, level 25, I, I typed in what's a high level in Pokemon Go and they said 25, so I'm there, baby. I'm all over it. But, but that's, that, that's, that's what he's saying. He said it's this pursuit of a little more, a little higher to, to make it, to have a little status. He says, beware of every form of greed. Greed comes in many forms. There's greed for approval, greed for status. There's greed for the best office, the fastest car, the latest computer, the next iPhone, the prettiest date. Greed has many faces, but it speaks the same language, the language of more. John D. Rockefeller was at once asked years ago when he was one of the wealthiest men, not just in America, but the world, how much is enough? And what did he say? One dollar more. One dollar more. How much is enough? The accountant of a very wealthy man was asked this question, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant's answer was everything. Everything. What we recognize is we live in a consumer age and therefore we have moved from caveman, cavewoman to craveman and cravewoman. And greed is ungodly. Greed is ungodly. Jesus says, beware of it. That should be enough of a caution. Paul says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Same word Jesus used there, greed, which is idolatry. You see, in the context of Colossians chapter 3, he's saying a transformed heart will produce changed behavior. So if you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm not really talking to you right now, but if you claim Jesus as your Savior, claim to be a follower of Christ, Paul writes to you and he says, you need to kill these things, and one of the things you've got to kill is greed. Because if you live a greedy life, it's the mark of a non-transformed heart. But if you have a transformed heart, you'll live a generous rather than a greedy life. And so when we look at this, we recognize the basis for this is not just to do it because somebody preaches to do it. We do it because we recognize what Jesus has done for us. When we recognize what Jesus has done for us, we cannot live greedy lives. We must live transformed life, transformed heart, produce transformed behavior. Well, Jesus does what he often does, and that is he tells a story to make his point. 
He says, beware of every form of greed. And by the way, if you look at the end of the verse, he says, stuff will never satisfy. Stuff will never satisfy. Man can't live with these possessions. And then he gives a story. He talks about a man with a full barn but an empty heart. He gives a story about a guy who has a lot of this world's goods, a lot of stuff. See if you can relate to this, beginning in verse 16. So Jesus told him a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? So here's a scenario. The guy has a banner year. It's a bumper crop, literally. He has more than he's ever had. And so he says, what am I do with that? Well, if you look at the next two verses, verses 17 and 18, he uses the word I and my eight times. He says, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. And so what this man does, he says, man, I have inherited all, or I've worked for all this stuff. I've worked hard. It's mine. And I'm going to do what anyone would do. That is, I'm going to build a bigger barn so I can save more and so I can spend more. In fact, what I'm going to do in verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you've many goods laid up for many years to come. So take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The good American philosophy and lifestyle. I mean, that's it. Spend a little today, save a lot for tomorrow, retire and live the good life. So I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I've got plenty, so it's all about me. Now, if you look at the life of Christ and look at his teachings, this parable and the teaching of Christ is not condemning wealth and it's not condemning planning. But it's condemning lack of generosity. It's condemning self-indulgence. It's condemning living for things and not for God. It's condemning finding security in your net worth rather than your worth in the Savior. It's a, it's a scathing condemnation to those of us that are all about stuff. I asked a friend not too long ago, a mutual friend that uh, I don't see anymore, and I said, uh, what's the deal? And he's not in a small group anymore and not attending church anymore anywhere. And he said, and he's too busy making money. And I thought, how tragic. How tragic. Too busy chasing the things of this world. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's at the end of his life. And there's one little verse in there, chapter 4. It's Paul's last letter. And he says, Demas has deserted me for this world. Demas is chasing the world in no time for God. Well, when we look at this, we recognize there are a lot of difficult questions to answer here. And I can't answer those questions for you. How much is enough? How much is enough? And staff, we talked about that for an hour and a half. So you stand before a group of folks, a couple of thousand folks, TBC this Sunday morning and two worship services. Everybody has a number out there. You want to retire one day, you've got a number out there. What's that number? How how do you arrive at that number? Financial planners will tell you how to get there. I've done that. Is that biblical? Not biblical. How how much is enough? What about inheritance for my kids? What should I do for them? What should I leave for them? What what, what about uh, retirement? What what about uh, is wealth a bless or is wealth a cursing? Somebody said, I'd like to be cursed with money just for a little while. I I know many wealthy people who would trade their wealth for health, for a prodigal son or daughter returning home, for a restored marriage, for an end to the loneliness of not seeing their kids or grandkids, for the ability to trust or love someone, or for the salvation of the loved one. And so when we look at this passage, what Jesus is saying is you're a fool because you've not included God and his kingdom in the equation. He calls him a fool. Look at the next verse. 
In verse 20, God said to him, you fool. The very, this very night, he just said, I've got many years, so I'm going to take, enjoy, eat, and drink all that I've got. And he says, you fool, tonight your very soul is required of you. Now, you're going to have this stuff. You've prepared it all, and you're going to pass it on. So, the rich, guy, the rich farmer, the farmer with the bumper crop has a problem. He's got this windfall. What's he going to do with it? Is an opportunity for indulgence? Self-indulgence, his business has boomed. You get, I mean, let's apply it today. Your business booms, you get a significant bonus. Maybe you finish your training and you finally get a paycheck. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like you've won the lottery even though you don't play it. Or, or maybe there's an unexpected windfall. Maybe the inheritance clears probate. Maybe the bonus is given. Maybe you've graduated and now you're working. I, I don't know what your scenario is, but what are your first thoughts? Praise God, I can help some missionary in the field, or there are some social justice ministries we can respond to, or a building TBC is trying to pay for. I, I don't know what it is. God has supplied for you over and over and over again. That's not what this is about. When God blesses you, when these things come, is his kingdom part of the equation? When I got sick, Bev and I, I said, babe, we need to do a bucket list. I mean, I didn't know if I was going to have months or years, didn't know that. And so I said, babe, let's put together a bucket list. This week, as I was preparing this message, I'm thinking about that. You see, how many of you have seen the movie Bucket List? So on the bucket list, you know what they do? He finds out they're going to die. What do they do? They talk about places, what? They want to go to. So I said, babe, let's put together a bucket list. So we put together my bucket list. In my office, I'm reflecting this week about this scenario. You're in your bucket list. Do you think about like supporting the missionaries y'all send money to every month? If you die, is that going to happen? I mean, Bev will do that, but did you think through that? No. Did you think through three or four other things regarding the kingdom? Now, my wife, those of you who know Bev, she's a generous woman. In fact, if I get sick and die, my concern is she's going to give it all away and not have anything to live on. I mean, we've talked about that often. I mean, she likes to give, give, give. I'm the good steward. I, uh, <laughs> she calls me frugal, and uh, I guess I am. But, but here's the reality. Is God in your equation? I mean, take out your checkbook right now. Look at your bank account online. Is God in your equation? Do you be embarrassed right now based upon the income he's given you, based upon the gifts he's given you, based on the inheritance you've had, based upon what you work and do and the amount of money you have? Or you look at the face of the Savior and say, I've been generous with all you've given me. So this guy, he says, it's about me. It's everything I want. It's all I'm going to do. I'm going to take it in. I've worked for it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's a good old American way. So you put it all in 401ks. You put it all in the stock market. You put it all in real estate investments and REITs and all that other stuff. And you've got a ton. And you say, now we're going to live, baby. And he says, you fool. You're going to die tomorrow. With investing in that which is important and essential. No, God's not condemning wealth. He's not condemning money. He's not saying it's wrong. He, he's just saying your priorities are askew. You're not thinking about your kingdom. You inherited a bunch. You say, you drank be merry, Europe, Cancun, Hawaii, here we come. Flat team screen TV, here we come. House on the beach in the mountains, a new ranch, I've earned it, it's mine. New boat, new jet ski, it's mine. What about the things of God? Now, the great news is I can preach this from a standpoint of your generosity. 
when you walk out in the hallway, there are two tables out there. Over 300 kids in Temple Belton Academy School Districts will receive backpacks with stuff in it because of your generosity. They ask us, can we handle that many? I said, if you know the TBC folks, we can handle that many. Angel Tree, when we provide gifts for prisoners, we can handle that. Christmas in July, we found out that uh, that, that organization, there were 53 gifts given. 47 of the 53 gifts came from TBCers. You're generous people. And I say, to God be the glory, may you continue that way. But it's not just for some of us to be that way, it's for all of us. Because of what Christ has done for us. And so what we see is, when we read the scriptures, that if all we have is money, we're in trouble. He who has no money is poor, but who has nothing but money is even poorer. So what do we do with this? What's the point you're trying to make, Gary? Jesus goes on. He says, don't worry about your stuff. If you look at verses 22 to the end, uh, uh, to 34, he says, don't worry. Look at verse 22. He says, don't be anxious about your, what your life and what you're going to eat and what you're going to, your body and what you're going to put on. And then if you drop down to verse 25, he says, don't be anxious. You go to verse 29, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God, verse 31, and these things shall be added to you. And then look at verse 34, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You see, wherever you have treasure, your heart's there. I always thought it would be the opposite. I thought where your heart is, that's where your treasure would go. But it's the opposite. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let me give, tell you a story about that. In 1992, we adopted a church in the Ukraine. Up until 1992, I couldn't tell you anything about the Ukraine other than it was part of the former Soviet Union. But since 1992, because we have a sister church there and we love those folks and they love us, Bev and I have been there at least a dozen or 14 times, and many of you have met Pavel, pastor of our sister church, and other Ukrainians have come this way. Because of that, whenever the Ukraine is in the news, whenever it's on TV, whenever I read about it online, my heart has moved because I've got treasure there. Where their treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. When we start storing up treasures in heaven, that's where your heart's going to be. When the kingdom of God and the things of God become a priority, your heart's going to be about that and your thoughts are going to be, what can we do to further the kingdom of God? In many ways, not just with your finances, but in many ways, how can we be generous? Well, the example of this guy is an example of greed. Jesus is an example of generosity. Jesus is just the opposite. The example of Jesus gives us the cure for greed. The cure for self-indulgence, the cure for worry about stuff. You see, you may ask the question, why be generous? You are generous because of this right here. Because Jesus is generous. That's why. If you're going to be like the Savior, you're going to live a generous life. Generosity comes from a transformed heart, a grateful heart, an understanding heart, a heart filled with grace, mercy, and suffering, a heart that is cured from greed and self-indulgence and worry about stuff because of Jesus and what he's done for you. Now he's talking about money here, but generosity carries over in a number of different ways. I want you to think with me. I I could come up with a hundred of these. I'm going to give you three ways that Jesus demonstrated generosity. Number one, he demonstrated generosity through his love. Demonstrate generosity through love. In, in John chapter 13, it says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to be a person who loves. Now, let me remind you in the scriptures, the scriptures teach us to love our God first, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, and that's because sometimes our neighbor and enemy are the same person, someone said, Chuck Swindoll, and to love our spouses. So we are to love our God, we are to love our enemy, we are to love our neighbor, and we are to love 
our spouses. You know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there of a lot of people not loving enemies and not loving neighbors. It's out there. Man, racial stuff, not loving our neighbors. Hatred filling up Facebook and Instagram and news. I submit to you, if you're a believer who knows Jesus Christ as your Savior and want to be like the Savior, you're going to live a life of loving other people. A life of loving other people. Jesus was generous with his love. Jesus was generous with his compassion. It's a story in Luke chapter 7. It's an interesting story. Jesus is coming to a village. It's a sleepy little village in Judea and hillside. It's called Nain. And Jesus is coming to the village with an entourage. When he gets to the gate of the city, there's another entourage leaving the gate of the city. He's coming in to see what's happening. The people have gone out because you can't bury dead people within the city gates and make it unclean. Leaving the city is a lady who's lost everything that's important to her life. She's lost her husband. She's lost her only child. So death has snatched from her the two most important people in her life, her husband and her son. The scriptures say that when Jesus saw this entourage coming, I'll read it to you in Luke chapter 7, it it says, as he approached this gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, only son, widow. So that's it. A sizable crowd was following her. And Jesus saw her and felt compassion for her. The, The amazing thing about this miracle is the lady asked for nothing. She exercises no faith. We're not told if she had faith or didn't have faith even after that. All it says is Jesus moved with compassion. Spalinta is the word. It's a word for guts. Jesus moved in his guts and his heart. He looks at the lady and gives two Greek words, don't weep. And then he comes to the coffin. And as a rabbi, he could have been declared unclean for that, but he passes right by and says, young man, I say to you, arise. The scriptures say that that young man began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother and fear gripped all the people that were there. You bet they were gripped with fear. And they said, a great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to be compassionate. Compassionate. Compassionate towards other people. You know, this is an election year. I told you last year I hate election years. I think the worst rhetoric from Christians comes out in election years. And so, so here's the reality. If, if the news makes you mad, how many of you would say the news right now makes me mad? How many of you would say that? Raise your hand high. That, let, let, me give you, let, let me let you know a little secret. When you're watching the news, you have in your hand something called a remote. In that remote, you can press a button that says off on it, and you don't have to be mad. I, I mean, I mean, people walk on, what are we going to do? And the, these are believers wanting to be like Jesus, and they're mad all the time. Shut the stinking TV off. Just shut it off. You don't have to be mad. If you live your life mad, shame on you. Because Jesus said, we're to live an abundant life and a joyful life. And I'm guilty at times. I'm guilty at times. But this isn't the way he wants us to live. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to be compassionate and loving. The greatest display of generosity, though, was from the cross. The greatest display of generosity. I love the way that Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, was made in the likeness of men. 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The greatest display of generosity in the history of the world was God giving his life on a cross six hours on Friday. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate display of generosity. So when I look at the sacrifice of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, I can only be generous in my worship and with my stuff and in my relationships because of him. Are you generous? Generous with your stuff? Does your checkbook reflect generosity? Not just TBC, missionaries, other places. You're generous in loving other people. Compassionate, generous in your compassion. You're generous in telling others about generous Jesus who sacrificed it all for him. The couple in our body, you know, at the conclusion of each of these messages, we're sharing stories with you. There's a couple in our body who have experienced the generosity of Jesus, his love, his compassion, his sacrifice. And we're listening to their story. I'm not sure if they've snuck in here. They're working with his kids. Are you guys back there, Cedric, Marcy? Are you guys back there somewhere? They'll sneak in at the end of it. Where are they? Here they are over here. Would you stand for one second so we can see who you are? Cedric and Marcy Day, would you, they're going to give their testimony a second on video. Would you thank them for doing that? You know, I, I, I know Cedric well. He's one of the young men that I'm spending time with. And they display these things in their life. And my prayers, we all would. So we're going to hear their story. And then we're going to sing a song together honoring our great God. And during that song, if you want to pray, come get your knees down here and pray. I'm not sure how God's spoken to you today. Maybe it's being generous in love, generous in compassion, generous with Jesus, generous with your stuff. But uh, after the video's over and the song begins, you're welcome to come down here and pray. Here's our story. Worship team, join me. I'm Cedric. This is Marcy. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. Um, we uh, met in college. And we met at a time when both of us were really growing in our faith. So as we were kind of growing in our affections for the Lord, we were growing in affection for each other. And uh, we got married at the end of college and um, had some high expectations. So after about six years of marriage, we were ready to start our family. We became pregnant with our first child in 2009 and experienced all the joys and excitements that come with being a brand new parent. About a month after she was born, we got a phone call that sent our highest high, highest of new parenthood highs to our lowest low. Our daughter was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, or CF, which is um, a lifelong chronic illness that affects the lungs and digestive system. Daily lung therapies, um, doctor's appointments upon doctor's appointments, more meds, x-rays, um, blood draws, um, costs that seemed too great for our income. The burden felt too great and our faith foundation began to shake. Um, we started to wrestle with hard questions. Was he good? Was he faithful? Um, could we trust him? Questions about 
his sovereignty? Why was he allowing us to suffer this way? Um, and even questions about his existence. Um, was he even there? And did he even hear us pray? Because we for sure prayed for a healthy child. Darkness is a good way to, to describe that time for both of us with all of our questioning and, and our doubts. And as she said, I mean, in his time, he really answered those questions. Um, you know, he, he showed us that he was trustworthy, that he, he is good, um, that he does love us, that he's there. And a big question for us uh, that he answered was he is sovereign in our trials and our sufferings. Of course, the story doesn't stop there. Um, here we are a couple of years later and mama's ready for another baby. <laughs> and uh, yes, we both are. And we, we knew we weren't gonna stop with just one child. And, uh, but the question was, what do we do? We find, found ourselves in a dilemma. The question on our hearts was, is this a responsible decision to make to move forward into, we know now that we are carriers of CF and there's a 25% chance of having another baby with CF. Is it responsible to have another biological baby? We kind of clung to the things that God used in the first place to grow our faith, His body, His word, prayer. Um, we prayed together, we prayed separately, often. Um, we uh, sought wise counsel. Yes, we, we sought counsel, and uh, I can remember um, uh, one particular moment of clarity that I had. Um, I invited one of my mentors over, Dr. Brindley, uh, to my house and uh, just told him I was wrestling with this. And, uh, and Dr. Brindley, uh, without hesitating, said, You know, I. I don't know the answer to that, um, and I can tell you it's probably not in the Bible, <laughs> that particular question. Um, but I can point you to a passage in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, um, which of you, um, if your child asked you for bread, would give him a rock? Uh, or if he asked you for fish, would, he give you, would you give him a serpent? So you fathers being evil, um, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And he said, I don't know what he's going to give you, if he'd give you a child with CF or not, but your child's not going to be a rock. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. <laughs> so we had a baby. <laughs> it just made it clear to us. Um, at that point, and uh, it wasn't just that, but everything all together, just the peace that we, we got through prayer and, and just things like that, you know, truth being spoken over us, mm -hmm. um, we did decide to proceed in faith and have a child. Uh, we had Daniel um, in 2013, and uh, I called Dr. Brindley um, three weeks after Daniel was born, and I called him and said, uh, well, he's... Uh, He's got CF. Uh, it's not what I'd hoped, but he's certainly not a rock. He's not a rock. Would you thank our friends for sharing their story?